The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you to this amazing church. If you're here for the thousandth time, we welcome you back to this amazing church. Uh, We also welcome those listening on podcasts today, especially from Boston, Massachusetts. We know that it is snowing where you are, and we pray that you feel the warmth of the Holy Spirit through this podcast. We're on our fourth week of our series called Moving Mountains. We're talking about the spiritual mountains of our lives. And so this is not a how-to series. This is not a 12 steps to improve your you know, mental life. I mean, those are good sermons, but that's not what we're going to do. We're talking about these mountains that only God can move, that without God, they are impossible for us to touch. So we looked uh, three or four weeks ago at forgiveness, the mountains of forgiveness. Everyone has somebody in their life who we struggle with, and God wants us to begin a process of loving them by asking forgiveness. And that's very hard, but that has been happening in this church. Thank you for your emails. Uh, then a week after that, Israel had a powerful message on, on moving mountains of isolation, that we do tend to isolate ourselves, we are lonely people, and that God wants us to be in community. And that's happening here too. And then the week after, we had a message on moving mountains of debt. And I am really excited to say that there are 50 plus people in the Dave Ramsey program here and hearing good things about that. So today I want to talk about moving mountains of ritual, of routine. And I want to begin with a question. How many people here are not here for the first time? Would you raise your hand if you're not here for the first time? Good. Now, how many of you who are not here for the first time are sitting pretty much in the same seat that you sat in the week before? Come on. It's good for the heart. Get your hands up there. Good, good, good. And how many of you who are sitting in the same seat as you have also been sitting in that seat for maybe the past, I don't know, seven years or so? Okay, good. And thank you for raising your hand in the back because I know you. You're a mother and daughter team. You've come since day one and you always sit right back there. And I know that there are a group of former Methodists who sit right on in here. And, uh, you know, if the creek don't run dry, you are going to sit in that seat. And I thank you for sitting there. And I know there's an auto body mechanic uh, who sits in this service, next service with his family. Every single service sits there. I know this. And you know what? This is healthy. This is a healthy part of life. This is routine. This is ritual. This helps us, right? In the world that is changing and that that moves and that there's craziness. Hey, at least if you can sit in the same seat every week, then, you know, there's some some sense of peace. Don't, Don't push anybody else out of your seat. That may not be healthy. So we have rituals in our lives which are healthy. And yet we also have rituals in our lives that may not be so healthy. So I want to share with you a ritual in my life. Again, I'm not proud of this. I'm just sharing with you one of the rituals of my life that has become a kind of idol. And that is my iPhone. Now, I'm not making a plug for iPhone or any product in particular, but I'm just saying this little black device has become, for me, a ritual which verges on idolic status. I'll tell you how this thing happened. I got... A couple years ago, I got the 1G, or one of those numbers. Maybe it was a 2G. I can't remember, but it was not a very big G. It was a small G. And I got this phone, and you know, can you believe all this phone could do was phone calls? I know. It was so backward, but that's all that phone could really do is phone calls. But boy, the clarity, the messages, oh, I got the best phone calls on that. But then they said to me, you know what you really got to do is get the 2GS because you can get text messaging. And I said, what's text messaging? I said, oh, you are missing out. 
You're going to have to, te- you can text message anybody 10, 100,000 times a day. And, and I've been doing that. I got that 2GS and I can text message hi, smiley face, and I get a hi, smiley face back. Deep conversations like that, you know. So now I'm text messaging, but oh, this is not a 2GS. This is a 3GS. And I'll tell you what you can do with the 3GS. You've got internet and email, and I can access the email and the internet anywhere I go. I can do it at the gym. Sometimes I have got, of course, I got my music in here too, so I'm listening as I'm on the treadmill. I can check my email 20 times in the middle of a workout. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I know many of you are very technologically savvy. This is like so last week. This is a 3GS. There's a new one out, right? And I don't have that one, and that is the 4GS. Now, that phone you can talk to, and it will talk back to you. <laughs> but I will tell you why I haven't gotten it. Because I begin, I'm beginning to start to see how this ritual has started to become not such a healthy thing in my life. And I want to share with you a, a process of thinking about this. And I want you to think about what rituals, and again, this is not a message where I'm going to lay out for you, this is what's wrong and this is what's right. I want you to search your hearts about what rituals in your life might be healthy and what rituals may not be. I'm going to introduce you to a term that's very complex, but you can tell your friends you you learned about ritualized idolatry today. It's a religious studies term. And basically, ritualized idolatry says that if you do something once, it's just an action. Maybe you do something twice, it becomes a process. If you do something three times, maybe it becomes a habit or a hobby. You do something four times, it becomes, I don't know, an activity. If you do something five times, six times, seven times, it can become a ritual. And again, there are healthy and there are unhealthy rituals. But you do things more than that, and they are often unhealthy. What can often happen is an idolatry status can begin to develop. And so that thing in our lives becomes, this is the worst picture of an iPhone that you have ever seen. It becomes a kind of idol. want to have you think about what some of your healthy and unhealthy rituals might be. We all have them. And again, I want to be real clear that there are some healthy things. Like, here's some healthy ones. We might call them routines. Um, Next slide. Or not, whatever. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Thinking, thinking. So, um, (laughs) I've got this written down in my pad here. Um, Daily prayer time is a healthy routine. That's obviously something we can work, work out and think about. Working out can be a healthy routine, obviously. Morning prayer with a coffee, that can be a healthy thing or it can become idolatry. Weekly church attendance, that can become a healthy dynamic. Obviously it is. Small group meetings can be healthy. We're regular times with our friends, this is healthy. But there are some things that can become what we might call idolatrous or they become rituals that gain larger power in our lives. And here's a quick list of these things. Television can become that kind of thing. Um, obviously, it's a little bit goes a long way. Unemployment. I know people who are stuck in unemployment situations, and they've just decided that they're going to kind of have this be a ritual of their lives. They've kind of forgot that applying for a job is actually about getting a job. Or maybe it's a professional rut that people are in. Technology can become a ritual. Pope, John, or Pope Benedict recently said this about technology. Um, he said, you know, that today technology has become a place where people have no longer any silence or contemplation in their life. People today are frequently bombarded with answers to questions they have never asked and to needs to which they were unaware. So technology can become that, a relationship. 
I have people come in in my office uh, needing counseling. This has happened recently, and a couple came in and said, we're struggling in our marriage, and I said, well, tell me about it. And they said, well, well, this is, we're just kind of not doing well. And I said, tell me about your week. Well, every single Monday we have dinner in front of the TV, and every Tuesday we watch this show, and every Wednesday we have this thing, and every Thursday we have this thing, and every Friday we do this. And I said, how long have you been doing this? Oh, for about 10 years. So what you're telling me, I said, is that your life has become a kind of ritual? Yeah. They said it has. And I want you to think about something big today. Even religion can be a kind of ritual. And I want to look at our text today in which Jesus comes into a very ritualized society. There was never a more ritualized pattern of faith than first century Jewish Middle Eastern culture. This was a culture where many times the way people did things was more important than, than who they were worshiping. So washing hands became very ritualistic. And eating and what things you could eat and what things you couldn't eat became extremely ritualistic. And today we're going to look at how Jesus breaks into this world. There was, a, there was a rule of ritual back in the day that you could never do anything on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was holy, and in fact, Deuteronomy said that if you did anything on the Sabbath, that you could actually have the death penalty, that you couldn't even leave your house more than 100 feet outside of your house, and none of your animals could do that as well. But Jesus takes this ritual, and he, he breaks into that, and he brings new life into it. Let's take a look at our text. Let's take a look at our text, um, which is Luke, um, chapter, Luke chapter 6, 1 through 5. Listen to God's word. Now, one Sabbath, this is a Saturday for the Jewish people, Jesus was going through the grain fields. Now, again, this is not a good thing. Those of you who have had military status or have worked in military countries, you know that if people are breaking curfew, it's easy to see them out going, doing those things. His disciples began to pick some heads of grain and rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Now, if you wanted to do this really undercover, you would just take a little wheat in your hands and kind of rub it together, and then you would get the wheat out. But these, this is not what the disciples were doing. They were taking wheat in their hands, and they were going like this, and they were opening their mouths, and these wheat kernels were going into their mouth. This would be akin to, to breaking out of jail and going up to a cop car and going, ha, ha, ha. And the Pharisees do not like this, because for thousands and thousands of years, the ritual has been, you do not do work on the Sabbath. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did? Jesus is tweaking them. Of course they have. That's all they do all day is read what David did. When he and his companions were hungry, he entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, think communion bread, Imagine if you were hungry and just came in and began to eat that bread this morning. He ate what was lawful only for priests to eat. And he gave some of his to his companions. He gave some of the bread to his companions to eat. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is actually making a big point here. See, David took bread, but Jesus is taking wheat. What comes first, wheat or bread? Jesus is claiming supremacy over even what David did. But more than that, he is saying that this day was made for God, not God for the day. That God was made to break into these things of our lives, which, which have become ho-hum, have become tick-tock, have become metronome-like, and he wants to breathe new life into them. And that's what God wants to do in our hearts today. So I want you to think again about what rituals in your life may not be that healthy. And those of you who have come to my Bible study every single week for the last seven years know that we are just walking through the Old Testament mostly. 
So we've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. We've gone through Joshua, Judges, Ruth. We're starting 1 Samuel. One of the things that I've just been praying about a lot is this very strange thing that happens in the Middle East in the very first century and, and before that. And that is, you'll hear this phrase. Now, the Israelites were worshiping Yahweh, but then they abandoned Yahweh and began to take up false idols. And usually the idols would be something like Baal or Baal or Ashtart. And for the longest time, I have just been perplexed about what what, would these, what was it that they gave up God for, these idols? I mean, how silly that they would do such a thing. I mean, and what were the idols but a statue like Baal or Ashtart? Or, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? Now, a couple of years ago, I had the great opportunity to go to Egypt and to study the place where Jesus spent 12 years of his upbringing near the pyramids of Giza to study this amazing primitive and ancient culture. And I was in a little store and the tour bus was on the side there, and I, I thought this was a kind of a cool thing. I bought this bird with a kind of a funny thing on its head, but I thought it would be a nice little bookend when I brought it home, or might it be a nice uh, thing I could open the door and keep it open with, or something like that. I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. When I brought it back to the bus, the tour guide said, well, Graham, by the way, that is an idol. I said, an idol? I just thought it was just a silly bird with a thing on its head. Oh, no. He said, no one believes in this idol. This is Horus. Nobody believes in Horus today, but back in the day, they believed that this thing was the god of all the skies. I said, the god of all the skies? This silly, this silly piece of this rock with a weird bird thing on its head? He said, yeah, that's what they believed. All rain, all, all sun, all moon, all stars, all lightning, everything came from this weird little bird. Wow, that's really weird. I said, yeah, he said, it is kind of weird. He said, it's also... What they believed was this was done, this was used for hunting, basically. If you wanted to go hunt a beast, you would go and pray to this thing. Again, I can't really understand that. But I've been thinking about it and thinking about it. I'm trying to understand what was the power of this thing for for people in Egypt. I think I figured it out. It was this. You see, if you do something once, it's just an action. If you do something twice, it can become habit, and three times it can become a routine, and four times it can become a ritual, but sometimes these things can, can have elevated status, and they can become idols. What really is being said here is God wants to be the God of our lives. He doesn't want us to make our own gods. Now, whether your God is probably not Horus, or maybe your little idol is one of these things, an iPhone, think about what rituals you may have that are permeating your life. God wants to break into that space. So the first thing I want to just lift up is that everybody has rituals. And there are healthy rituals and they're not so healthy rituals. I heard about this woman who was out walking one day and she came upon this man who was in a rocking chair, an older man, but he was very, very happy. And she said, gosh, how are you so happy? You are one of the happiest people I've ever seen. He said, well, my secret is that I smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, I drink lots of whiskey, and I eat lots of food with fatty uh, things, and I, I never really work out at all. She said, how is it? Can I ask you how old you are? He said, I'm 26. So, <laughs> so obviously, those are not healthy rituals. And some of us today have those unhealthy rituals. And rather than beat yourself up about what those are, I would just encourage you to give that mountain to God. But other of us have other rituals that may be just as destructive in our own lives. 
Think about this. What about the words we use? How can they become rituals? I recently did a study that found that most people today are using worse language today than they ever have. AP Ipsos poll found that two-thirds of people said that they think people swear more today than they did 20 years ago. Interesting. 64% say they use the F word ranging from a several times a day, 8% to several times a year. 15% said that. A very famous rabbi wrote a book called Words That Hurt. And he said, can you please raise your hand to a people, group of people he was talking to? Can you raise your hand if, if you can get through 24 hours without saying an unkind word to somebody else? Most of the people raised their hand. They could get through 24 hours without saying something unkind. But some of the people in the room couldn't raise their hand and say that. He said, you know, if you can't get through 24 hours without smoking a cigarette, you're addicted to cigarettes. If you can't get through 24 hours without having a drink, you're addicted to drink. If you can't get through 24 hours without saying an unkind word, you're addicted to unkind words. These rituals come into our lives, and before we know it, they can become idols. I want to be real clear about this. There are some really healthy rituals that we can begin to put into our lives, and once we put them into our lives, they really can transform our entire identity. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and one of my heroes was Carl Malone. And I know that he's the player you all hate because you're a Lakers fans, but I mean, I, and he didn't win the championship for you. I know, I know. But I loved Carl Malone. Carl Malone was six foot nine inches and he was 265 pounds. But here's the thing Carl Malone led the NBA and still holds the, the record in the NBA for the most attempted free throws and made free throws in the history of the NBA. Now, this is a big guy. Usually, big guys like this are not good at free throws. What did Carl Malone do? Well, whenever he would do a free throw, he would bounce it three times. Then he would spin it in his hand like this. Then he would say something like this. And then he would shoot. Now, nobody knows exactly what he said. And I I did go up to him one time in line, and I was ready to find out what he said. I was going to break the secret, and I was going to ask Carl Malone. And I got to the front of the line, and I said, Hi, you're my hero. But... (laughs) But think about this. How could we translate this into spiritual terms? What would be the bouncing of the basketball, the the prayer in the morning, the coming to church and singing, the giving to God? How could that become a routine of our lives? Just a couple of hints. The routines of our lives, the rituals of our lives are probably not that thing you're thinking about. We don't always know what our rituals are. And also, other people are sometimes better at pointing out what those rituals are. So ask somebody near you, what are my rituals today? The second thing is this. Jesus Christ wants to break into the rituals of our lives. He came to save us. He came to die on the cross and come back to life again. And part of the way that he wants to do that is to break into these these metronomes that we follow. Jesus came to break up this this ho-hum, this humdrum, this this driving every morning and not thinking about where we're going. That's why he came. So that's the next point. The next point is this, that we need to lift up the things of our lives that are these rituals. I'll tell you a powerful story of how God did this in a young man's life in this church. It was Easter of just this last year. And it was a Saturday night, and we were preparing for our worship. And you know how it is. We're always running around trying to get everything together on worship. 
Saturday night, a young man was sitting by the curb here. He was wearing a red jacket. He was maybe 21, 22 years old. He had a border collie with him, and I'll never forget just seeing him just crying as he was sitting there. And I had to get the worship service together, and we had to get Easter together. But I came, and I sat next to him for a moment. I said, what's wrong? He said, I've been thrown out of my house. And I've been living in an underpass down here by the river for the last week. I said, well, let's have a prayer, you and I, and then let's try to get you some help after this service. I finished the worship service. It was a great Easter, but I didn't see him after that service, and I felt really bad about it. The next morning, I got a phone call from a couple in this church who did an amazing thing. They sat down with this young man. They saw him too, and they invited him to stay in their house. Now, I want to be real clear. I do not recommend you do this. But they felt called to do this. They invited him into their house, and they let him live with them. And then it turned out that he wasn't just running away from his family. He was also running away from the law. And it turned out that he was a heroin addict and that he'd been selling heroin. And so this wonderful couple who go to this church sat down with them, and they said, you need to turn yourself in. And in the process of that, to begin to lift up this problem that you have in your life, this ritual that's become an idol, And so he did turn himself in. He talked to the judge and he went, spent some time in jail. And in jail, Richard Blowers, our parish assistant, began to pray with him. He began to walk him through John 1 and began to to offer this, this addiction, this ritual that he had in his heart. And through the process of working through drugs like methadone and prayer and Jesus, he accepted Christ into his life. He is now out of jail and he is now running his father's ranch in this area. And God did that by the best way God can, by breaking into that thing that was holding this man captive. Last thing is only God can move these mountains. Only God can do it. So I encourage you just to lift up whatever of these things that you're being challenged by. We're about to have communion together. And if you're like me, you've had communion for like 2,000, 3,000 times, and it sometimes becomes a kind of ritual. And I want to ask that you think about this as not something that you've just done 2,000 times, but God breaking in, God, God throwing a sledgehammer against the screen. Because do you know that for 2,000 years before Jesus, this became a ritual? It was called Passover. It was just this celebration that people mindlessly did. They had the unleavened bread, and they had the blood of the lamb, and they went through the prayers, and they went through the prayers. But then Jesus came. It was a Thursday night, and he came And he sat down with his disciples, and he said, I am the new covenant. I am the bread of life. Jesus said, this is my body, which I break for you. Take and eat all of it. In the same way, Jesus took a cup, and he blessed it, and he poured it out. He said, this is my blood, my blood, not the blood of the lamb. This is Christ's blood poured out for the remission of your sins. Take and drink all of it. Wake up in your life. Wake up and don't just have a metronome life. So we invite elders to come forward and serve this meal. And if there's anyone who would like to accept Christ, as Jill said, as your Savior, we'd love to pray with you after the service or you can pray with me now. Father, we give you our lives. We give you the parts of our lives that have either 
fallen asleep or the parts of our lives which we know are wrong. We pray that you would break into that space, that you would throw a sledgehammer against that thing and that you would make it new for you. We ask that this communion would not just be another communion, but that it would be a breaking in to our hearts and our minds because we want to be fully devoted to you. So I ask, Father, that you would be with us on this day. Accept our prayer and accept our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.